Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance and HR to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hey, hey, this is the Ethics Experts. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you're a returning subscriber, hey, friend, hope you're having an amazing day. You look amazing today. See what happens when you join the Ethics Experts. You get a bonus greeting on every single episode. So hit that subscribe button and join us as we change the world by making our workplaces better. Uh, great episode today. Wait till you guys hear this. I am sure you're going to listen absolutely to the end. Um, and we are talking with, see, we yeah. just do this live. This is all organic. This is all live. For those of you Fantastic. watching at home, I just saved the show. So that's great. Okay. Um, so I am here, um, with the co-founders of Conscious Growth Partners, um, Dr. David Tate, he's on the faculty at Yale, and he's the CEO of Conscious Growth, Growth Partners, Partners. And it's a consultancy that um, helps organizations with three huge things that I uh, love, leadership, teamwork, and culture. And his partner, uh, co-founder and chief strategist, uh, is here as well. Um, Her Excellency, the goddess of accountability, Marianne. Um, she is a uh, consulting and uh, clinical psychologist. Uh, who helps teams um, really you have a really a really amazing background uh, but helps teams and helps cultures and helps um, groups of people really have better interactions to drive better outcomes and so I'm super thrilled to get you guys on uh, I wish we were recording our pre-show because uh, that we should maybe start our own show based on how that that was going so pretty excited <laughs> to uh, dive in how are you guys doing that's today? exciting well thank you thank you thanks for having us absolutely yeah, we're, we're excited to be with you today Nick so I'd love to hear the story on how you all kind of came together and what was the birthplace, the birth idea for this amazing organization you guys started. Well, gosh, we've known each other for uh, a number of years and um, we um, had been doing some collaborating together, uh, working uh, at Yale, uh, uh, doing some uh, groups with, with graduate students, we really enjoyed our work together and um, thought about um, writing this book together and as a, as a way to sort of um, kind of kind of create some, uh, it's kind of come together around some ideas that we both believe in. And, um, you know, from there, uh, you know, kind of launched the, the consultancy as well. And, um, so, so that's, that's, you know, that's sort of in my recollection, Marianne, you may have a different story about than that, but that's, you know. Yeah, I could just fill it out a little bit with like yeah. my experience. So like, right, as David said, we've known each other and we were working in some capacity together and he was doing some executive ed trainings at Yale around accountability. And I, my passion is design. I love Good design. So in, in addition to being a psychologist, I've had some training in instructional design. I love graphic design. I love interior design. And so he asked me to help him sort of, you know, level up the um, training he was doing. And both like from a graphic design and instructional design perspective, and it was about accountability. And I love accountability. Um, and from there, you know, he was invited to um, author the book and he asked me and our other co-author to join him on it. And I was thrilled because I love accountability. I'm a big fan of it because um, I am not one of those people who can be like really self-disciplined and get things done and make the plan and set the schedule and follow through, right? Like 
bless the heart of those people who can like buckle down and, you know, pull themselves up and follow through and get things done. And so in my life, I have found when I wanted to be accountable to someone or for something for myself, my first step was to find my group. Mm. And so when I made accountability a shared or collective effort, I found then that it was not only easier, it became more fun, full of joy. And that is really my hope for this book is that it can bring a little bit of joy and fun to accountability. Why do you think people get that so wrong? I mean, well, maybe maybe we should back up. The premise of the book is what? Give us that kind of, you know, the inside jacket or the, you know, the 30,000 foot, foot view. And let's talk about why I think it's a really revolutionary idea or why it's a really original, um, you know, framing of these two things that seem to sometimes be contradictory. Yeah, so um, the, the big idea behind the book, I think, is that accountability is often misunderstood mm-hmm. or or viewed through a very narrow uh, lens. And you know, we call that that sort of older take on it, accountability 1.0. And we um, propose a new idea of accountability we call conscious accountability. And, and the idea is that when we are more aware in a number of different respects, when we're aware of ourselves, when we're aware of other people, when we're aware of interdependencies between different groups of stakeholders, we can be more accountable in a way that not only creates fantastic results, but also builds relationships and connections in the process. Um, Marianne, what do you think, um, what do you, why do you think people you know, misunderstand that? Or why, why do you think they can't hold both of those two things uh, together in the same grip? Because I think it is a pretty universal wish that we weren't impacted and influenced so much by other people and by forces operating out of our awareness. Like, it's hard to acknowledge how much we are influenced. So the wish is that I can do this on my own. If I just get the right process or set the right schedule or buckle down or have the right carrot or stick. Um, But the reality is we are social, emotional beings. Like that is the truth. And there's an opportunity to shed a light on that, you know, bring it more to the surface and leverage it. So not only is your work better, but there's more joy and your relationships are deeper. There's a better understanding that happens among the people you're working with. Yeah, and there's a deeper understanding of each other. Yeah. And there's a trust, right? I mean, I mean accountability yes, yes. in sort of the the corporate sense is almost like a bad word in many cases. I think a lot of people yeah. feel like constricted by it or they feel um, you know, choked by it or other synonyms to uh, constricted, but because I think a lot of times it feels like it's something that's cast upon them that maybe they didn't actually yeah. buy into. But there's a high level of accountability in, like, if you think about your personal relationships, whether it's with your sister or your best friend or whatever, there's some kind of implied contract or agreement around what your values are. And we behave in this way. And we, and when we don't behave in that way, you have some of those tough conversations that are the basis for many, you know, really kind of real authentic uh, relationships that exist outside the four walls of our organizations. Why do you think it's so hard for us to bring this sort of you know, basic tenant of every other relationship into, you know, a corporate setting? And why does it fall flat from a, you know, from a leadership standpoint so often? You know, I think that sometimes when organizations are, are focusing 
so much on the deliverable, on the result, on the numbers that they're trying to achieve. Um, you know, they they kind of get kind of tunnel vision mm-hmm. on that, and they forget about the importance of relationships and um, you know connections with each other in actually making that happen in the best possible way. Um, you know, I, I see this all the time. You know, in the in the classes I teach, I teach um, experientially with 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 putting students in teams that are working together. Mm-hmm. And so many times they are so focused, hyper focused on their grade, on the mm-hmm. outcome, that even with all of the, you know, you know, even with consciously trying to get their attention to pay attention to their relationships, a lot of times it's the struggle. It's attention. So I think so many times we're focused on that individual achievement, on the winning, mm-hmm. and we forget um to look left and right, you know, to the people around us. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's just a sort of a cultural thing? Like, is that like a Western uh, scorekeeping thing? Because there's a scoreboard all the time and a, a grade is tangible and the, the deliverable in your example in the corporate setting is something so tangible and we take the interpersonal stuff for granted. Like, what do you think's at the root of that? Because I see it everywhere. I see it at work. I've, I remember seeing it in college. I mean, it's kind of a pervasive dilemma or something. Yeah, Marianne, I'm not. I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this. I think one factor is is really about um, you know uh, kind of a individual uh, an, indi- an individual perspective as opposed to a more yeah. kind of collective perspective, and mm. also a, a focus on competition. Um, you know, I, and I think this this is true in not just in in Western contexts. I think there are other there are other cultures that are also very hyper competitive, like only the very best students can go to, you know, to university or to the best schools. And so there's, there's already, you know, they're set up, they're primed to be focusing on, um, you know, having an individualistic lens and being competitive with other people um, around them instead of a different possibility. That's interesting. That's interesting. What would you add to that, Marianne? I'm just thinking like, um, you know, the interpersonal stuff is messy. It's hard. And often people think it should be easy, right? Things we think should be easy aren't, or that if we just set up the right process, if we have the right, you know, sprint laid out in the meetings, or if like, I'm a new CEO, and if I just bring in the seasoned, experienced executive team, then, you know, the wish or the thought is, it'll be preemptive, and we'll just be high performing right out of the gate. But we're talking about human beings and we are complex walking paradoxes, each coming to the table with our own set of experiences, our own lenses full of assumptions, um, full of work practices that worked in the past that we are assuming will work in this situation. Um, And so, you know, sort of, digging into that is difficult, right? It requires hard conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a tendency to move away from that, right? It's uncomfortable. It's hard to move away from things that are, that don't feel good. (laughs) You know, it's just our human nature. Yeah, the sort of objective nature that comes along with, you know, getting an A or 
the deliverable or, you know, what's written on the page that we have to perform to kind of to your point or winning the game, whatever you want to kind of kind of call mm -hmm. that is at kind of the other end of the spectrum from the softer stuff that you're talking about, where we're all these sort of walking, you know, bags of like emotions and, um, you know, these paradoxes, as you said, the um, the prescription or the recipe for dealing with this, you know, myriad of personalities and so forth is so far like it's just all over the place. Uh, I think you're right. I think there's sort of a bias to say, well, let's just kind of put our head down uh, and focus on these things. Um, you know, um, David, you were you were kind of talking about this like individualistic thing and this uh, focus on outcome. And um, it's almost it almost kind of comes down to, well, in my mind, it comes down to like a uh, zero sum gamedness where, you know, we can't both win, I think is at a root of a lot of these, um, you know, I think a lot of this is rooted in that kind of a mentality, which I think is, is a flaw. Um, yeah. You know, if we were out fishing, I mean, I see this all the time, but like if we were in the boat fishing, the three of us, and like Marianne caught a fish, and I was pissed that I that you caught my fish, I mean, that would be bizarre, right? I mean, unless we're fishing out of a goldfish bowl, you know what I'm saying? Like if right. we're in a lake, there's right. a lot of fish in there, right? So like, it's really not right. a zero, zero sum game. And when you couple that with this like other fallacy that I see so many people have, where it's like, they go through life as if they're, um, you know, doing brain surgery where you can't mess anything up. That's not how my life works. Like I mess up stuff all <laughs> the time, you know what I'm saying? Um, so like that, like panicked energy kind of puts everybody into this sort of fight or flight mode where it's almost like we don't even yeah. have like mental space to engage in that 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 human side which is actually the foundation for true performance like if you look at a sports team where to your point has you know a bunch of kind of top performers sometimes they perform really well if their culture is right and sometimes under if, if those same folks are on a team with a super broken culture they never win championship that's right. why why is it so hard for us to digest this like potential for culture do you think well, it's interesting. I think on, on one level, it means that we have to think more systemically. And most of us are, you know, many, mm. many people aren't natural born systems thinkers. Right. I mean, we Good think point. more about things through an individual lens. I mean, we're just human. So we think about ourselves and we think about other people as individuals, but we don't necessarily look at or see um, like the, the team or the organization as like an organism, right? Mm -hmm. As its own thing that has a kind of life of its own that needs to be tended to, like in addition to tending to the individuals, right? So both are true at the same time, like speaking of paradoxes, right? right. Both of those things right. are true and you have to be able to notice and attend to, um, to, to both of those, because really the culture is really all about the environment that you're creating. And if you want to, you know, and, and there's an old uh, saying in, you know, psychology that behavior is a function of both the individual person and their environment, right? It's both. We can't always control other people directly, but we can help shape the environments that we're in that can really have an impact on what it feels like to be there and how people perform as a result. So true. Um, and, you know, I wonder if it was 100 years ago, if we would even be having this conversation. Well, we obviously wouldn't unless we'd be in the same room. But uh, technology aside, you know, was the world ready for these kinds of conversations in the midst of the, you know, the thick of the industrial revolution? Or do you feel like now, finally, as we're post pandemic, you know, kind of really pivoting into this knowledge work economy that a lot of us have talked about for I don't know, 20 years at this point? Like, do you think now it's like the perfect time to really 
let these ideas bloom forward in our organizations? I do. I, I, would, agree, I would agree with that. Marianne, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, mean, I just lost my train of thought. There's something I was going to say about what you were saying before, David. Um, yes, uh, so like, as we move forward, if we can shift the thinking of accountability from like the industrial age, like, mm -hmm. you know, individual responsible for getting their things done to more of thinking of accountability as a collective endeavor where we're in this together, um, then I think people can lighten up or like not dig their heels in so much um, because it's a little bit safer. You're talking about trust and safe. And so if we shift accountability from like, well, we're gonna watch you and we're gonna figure out who's to blame for this problem where did it go wrong in the factory line or whatever? Whose fault is it? It's sort of, we are all responsible and where is the learning and what can we do to try again and get better at it over time? Um, if it's the other way, like the more traditional way, it creates a lot of anxiety and people dig in and want to do things their way where they feel most comfortable and they're not able to think of the whole system like David was talking about. Um, because of the, you know, the fear that comes with that sort of traditional accountability. But if it's shifted, then, you know, you can start thinking like the best teams or organizations where sort of everyone, there's a balance of individual and collective needs and everyone is equally unhappy <laughs> rather than like <laughs> fighting for your way, you know? Right around that unhappiness, yeah. Um, I think I'm yeah, kind of, like, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Like, well, just like that acceptance, like things are gonna go wrong. We're going to mess up and make leverage that, like make the opportunity there. That's how we grow and get better. Yeah. I think to do that, we have to like design sort of workplace structures that allow for some coloring outside of the lines and some expectation yeah. that things are going to go wrong and not every single thing, like back to my brain, you know, surgery analogy, not like every single thing is like the end of the world. But, um, you know, I'm kind of catching up to what David was saying before, where he was saying, you know, there's this paradox and we have to be, kind of make time for, for, for both of these, these different ends of the spectrum. And I think in that industrial age where the assets were machines and that was, you know, all the value was produced largely by these, you know, mechanical things. Um, we didn't have to kind of account for both of those, you know, ends of that spectrum because you just had to have a guy or, you know, you know pulling on a lever. Um, now though, where the, you know, factors of production are people, we have to carve that time out and we have to turn those light bulbs on, uh, around making sure that people feel engaged, making sure that, you know, our workplaces are creating, you know, our, our workplaces are environments where this knowledge work can actually thrive. And I think when our focus shifts from like, you know, the, you know, the apex, the most valuable thing being a machine to the most valuable thing being a human, well, then it makes sense that like, uh, what comes along with that? is like some mind space to address those assets, right. those people, you know what I mean? Right, right, because knowledge is available to everyone. So that's no longer like an edge of any sort. So what are you gonna do with that knowledge? How are you gonna apply it? How are you gonna have the whole brain at the table, right? So that requires you inviting all voices and all perspectives, um, you know, and sort of this framework creates the space for that in, in a way that, you know, like no one wants to be that person when it comes to accountability, right? You don't want to be like, well, we have to get this done, but you can sort of 
blame it on the framework. <laughs> you can say like, all right, so if we're going to follow this, these practices that are spelled out in conscious accountability, if we were going to do this, what would we be saying to each other? Mm-hmm. So you don't even, you don't have, you know, like it's an easy way of entering those more difficult conversations when you are trying to be creative or make something of the knowledge that's available to everyone. Right. right. And there's, you can make that tension constructive and creative. So what are some of those, those best practices, or, you know, maybe you can kind of describe this, um, in like a picture of if, you know, what is, what is a picture of an organization that would be so ripe to take a look at your book or a team that would be so ripe to take a look at your book and what things would you expect that team to put into place to have the biggest sort of bang for their buck or the biggest, you know, point of leverage to drive toward this you know, mm. ideal sort of team or this ideal type of organization that I think we all think can exist uh, that maybe wasn't, you know, possible to exist 50 years ago or something? Well, you know, I think that one of the biggest things that that would position a team well to be able to take this on is just um, kind of the awareness of the necessity mm-hmm. to step back and reflect a little bit on their own process. I mean, I think one of the biggest problems that we often see with people, you know, uh, in, in companies and executives these days is that people are so busy doing, doing, right. doing, yeah. doing, doing. Right. Very little time is spent stepping back and reflecting on the doing and the how are how are we doing what we were doing and what is the impact that we're actually having on ourselves, on one another, right? So if there's if the team or the individuals are willing to carve out a little bit of time to step back and reflect on their process, they can really benefit and utilize the framework that we've laid out. Um, and it's called the Connect Framework. Um, it, it invites us to, to look at seven practices, um, kind of our ways of being that, um, that help promote um, this kind of better version of accountability. Um, if it would be helpful, we can yes. kind of spell them out real quick. Please, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to, re- I'd, re- I'd love to really dive in into this framework because I think it's a really brilliant framework, and I think you know I love a great and I like love a good acronym. By the way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell them about the acronym, Marianne? Why we landed on Connect? Um, why to have? I just remember like being in your office and it coming to be. <laughs> Well, I remember us having, yeah, we had all these like, you know, post-its on the, on the wall and various kind of things. And then it kind of came to us um, actually. um, And I think we, we came to connect for two reasons. One is the idea of, you know, consciousness is about a, you know, it was about, you know, a series of neural connections, right? Actually connecting the dots Mm. in our mind between ourselves and other and others and other things. So when we have when we have greater consciousness, we've got greater kind of connectivity going on mm-hmm. in here. And then the, the second idea is that our model of accountability is very humanistic and interpersonal. And so the idea is that we have to be aware of like our connections to other people mm-hmm. as we're trying to do accountability differently. So, so again, two different, you know, you know, um, references to the idea of connect there. And, so, and I'm sorry, yeah, I would also add this. So maybe you want to make this three now. I'm just kidding. Okay. But, um, <laughs> like, I think accountability is most easy or most organic or natural when we f- we are truly connected with the mission or we're truly connected with like 
the thing. You know, yeah. if I'm following a diet that my wife kind of cast on me, I'm, I guarantee you that I'm going to have some nutter butters in the car. You know what I'm saying? But if it's one that I really want to do and I'm super connected to it, then I'm going to be doing it. And my accountability doesn't need to be to somebody else. It needs to be to myself because I feel so connected with that outcome. So it's really, I, I mean, it's just that. multi-layered uh, word that is like the core. It's the glue that holds kind of all this stuff together. You got yeah. it. You got Fabulous. it. No, thanks for that ad. Well, do you mind if we, you know, take it. Use it's that all yours. It's all, all right, yours. Thanks. Um, so let's go through it real quick. This, um, we start off with the C, which is create clarity. And it's because it's impossible to be accountable if we don't know what we're being accountable to. If we're not clear on kind of what is the outcome that we're driving, what is the result we're trying to create? Um, and who's like, what are, what's everybody's kind of responsibility um, in helping to create that outcome? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and creating clarity sounds easy enough. No one sets out to be unclear, but as we know, um, language is symbolic, it's imperfect. Um, and so there's all kinds of um, ways in which we miss each other all the time, um, you know, and so clarity becomes more challenging to, to actually create. But, but if we do that well, it sets us up for, um, from the outset for, for better accountability going forward. Um, so that's the first practice. The second practice, the O, is opening up engagement. And, and here we're talking about um, kind of two things. One is kind of um, driving our own sense of commitment and that of, of, of others around us trying to kind of help kind of um, increase that sense of um, commitment and passion that you're sort of re referencing earlier. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is opening up psychological safety. So trying to create a safe environment where people can feel like they can actually speak um, what's true for them, what they see, what their experience is about, and being able to um, share that. And that's really, really key in order to have honest conversations of all kinds, to get all of the voices in the room, all of the ideas, the challenges, the debates, you need, you need people to feel really safe in order um, for them to, to be able to do that. 100%. Love that. Yeah. So the N, the first N is nail it, which is simply um, do what you say you're going to do, right? Um, and again, sounds easy enough, but as you know, we live in a world of competing commitments and pop-up priorities that threaten to derail us all the time. Um, so um, how do we manage those things and, um, and actually, you know, get, get things done on time when we said we were going to get them done? Um, so that's the, that's the end. And as we're working to nail it, we have this process, this practice of noticing. And that's really paying attention to what's going on within you and what's going on around you. So noticing yourself, noticing other people, um, you know, not just having blinders on and sort of delegating something and expecting it to magically get done, but actually to check in with people and to speak into what it is that you're noticing, um, creating the opportunity for course correction or, um, or clarification if it's needed. You know, or sometimes people need some support. They need some resource to be able to kind of get the thing done. Um, noticing, uh, you know, and, and doing that noticing with kind of what we call compassionate curiosity. So um, doing it in a way that's non-judgmental, just sort of noticing uh, the facts or noticing your own experience, but conveying that in a way that's non-judgmental 
again, supports that safe environment to be able to do that. Um, the next practice, the E is exchanging feedback. Um, this is vital in order for us to keep learning about what our impact actually is. Um, the thing that we cannot know about ourselves is how other people are perceiving us and right. experiencing us. So without feedback, we, we, we don't know what that actually is. So, so helping people get um, more comfortable with asking for feedback, receiving feedback, and giving feedback is um, you know, a, a, something that a lot of people struggle with, and, but, but, want, you know, but we help support people in being able to do that better and, and help them see how they can really benefit and grow through it. Um, two more practices. The C is claim it. Um, which is taking ownership for the results. Um, in order to take ownership, we have to know what our results were. So that means that we have to actually measure what we're doing in some fashion so we know how we did. Mm -hmm. But then to be able to share the, the credit and the, um, and the success with the people around us who helped create it. And when we have failures, to really take a hard look at that, to take responsibility for it, but it's particularly for how we're gonna make it better and what can we do differently next time? How can we learn from this so that we can um, continually improve? And that gets us to the last practice, which is trying again, which is uh, really about taking everything that we've learned from, from, uh, from, from our noticing and from the feedback and from the claiming it, and then applying it to the next kind of, you know, the next round, whether that's the next meeting, the next quarter, the next project, whatever it is, taking that learning, putting it into action so we can create a virtuous cycle of, an, of improvement together. Yeah, so Because we're never going to hit that. perfection, right? We're never going to be no. perfectly close and we're never going to be the same person. So there's always, even in your closest relationships, you're going to have some of that dissonance from some time and some of that distance uh, from time to time. And so if you're not constantly running through this virtuous cycle, as you called it, um, it's going to stagnate. And it's, I think the natural state is going to be one of entropy and sort of distance and so forth. So we have to always be working on it. I love this. Yeah. Um, our organization, we have three main uh, values, and they are um, servanthood, uh, accountability, mm. and tenacity. And so many of the mm. things you've talked about here are really things that we try to live out. I mean, we're not good at it. Um, you know, I struggle with so many of the things that you talked about here, but um, just kind of, you know, the one, a couple, well, I mean, this all resonated with me, as you can probably tell by this point, but like, um, the owning the outcome is such a big one and the feedback, mm -hmm. which is something I struggle with, uh, probably giving and getting. Um, but like those are owning that outcome is such a critical one because like reality is our friend. Right. But I think we've almost been conditioned to some point to like, you know, never let them see you sweat. Uh, never right. say you're sorry. You know, love is never saying mm -hmm. you're sorry. Like also never saying you're sorry at work seems to be like the, the status quo. Um, but, if you're living by that kind of a mantra, there's a lot of inauthenticity that must be, you know, part of the equation because like, who's not messing up all the time? You know what I'm saying? Right. right. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, and holding the growth mindset, right? So thinking right. of the mess up is the opportunity for improvement and learning and deeper connections, deeper relationships, right? So like, if you're not, messing up or failing, right? You're stagnant. You're not growing. Great point. Another great point. Yeah. So it's really a signal <laughs> that you're doing well in some regard. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is that so many of these, these, uh, so many of these 
um, these practices, they really do. I mean, it's not a linear thing that, you know, I know that no, they're out, outlined in a yeah. linear way, but like they're really connected on multiple different levels and they're so interdependent, right? Like cycle, yes. you know, yeah. as I was, you know, you were talking about, um, you know, the opening and engagement and the psychological safety that must come along with that. Well, like that's almost like the border around the whole field that allows for so much of these kind of honest conversations to happen. You know, if you don't think that you're hanging by a thread, then, you know, which means that, oh my gosh, I can't mess up, which means like, oh, okay, I got to sweep this under the rug, which means I have to kind of, you know, I mean, we've all worked in these places or at least seen them where it feels like when you walk in the room, you got to find a wall so you don't get knifed in the back. That breeds from the, the lack of psychological safety where you can't be honest with each other and you can't learn and you can't mess up and you can't, you know, be, um, <clears throat> be real about it. But, you know, another one that, yeah. oh, go ahead, please. I was just saying, that's like where noticing can come in. You know, like totally, I was thinking, you, totally, asked, yeah. you right, you asked earlier, like sort of what's the um, biggest bang for your buck, right? And I was thinking of your listeners who are um, like HR and compliance professionals. And so noticing, I think, would be a great practice that could be pre preemptive, right? Like before you get to the point of an investigation, if you lower the bar, right, right to noticing, then you know, you can course correct sooner. You can um, uncover what is at risk or what may be happening. Um, and if you bake it in, it doesn't have to be just like, so it can come about when you do notice something and you can express that with care and compassion and curiosity, you know, like to a manager, hey, I noticed you missed like your last two one-on-ones with this particular director report. I'm just curious about that, what's going on there. But you can also dedicate time, you know, like weekly or daily or whatever you, you know, works for you to do, okay, what did I notice, right? And like, so it's not just when it comes up, but if you bake it in, then you're sort of exercising that awareness and really um, strengthening that muscle of what's going on. And especially like as we're more remote, right? Like, yeah. if you bake it in and make it a practice, right, we have to do that, because it's not happening organically, as we're face to face and feeling the energy in the room of each other, right? So um, sort of being more intentional about it. And really, I think, I think that could help some of the HR compliant professionals that listen. Um, I love how you kind of called it a muscle. And so if God forbid, I, I read a, a, uh, a story once, and, you know, somebody who uh, they lost their sight and after they lost their sight, their ear just got so much better. Like you mm -hmm. can learn to notice more on Zoom even oh, when yes, you're not yeah. in person, right? Like that's a muscle that you can um, absolutely exercise and get stronger. And what a powerful muscle to kind of actually see somebody as not a thing, but as a person and what they're going through mm -hmm. and so forth and carving out a little bit of time to take a quick breath and check on them and how they're doing and so forth. There's so many positive externalities that end up really kind of cross pollinating and really start kind of, you know, multiplying across a bunch of different people. If you can create that right. kind of a vibe, you know? Yeah. Or you find another way to notice. Right. So like Great that point. The, right. So like on zoom, rather than just noticing the energy in the room, you could say like, I can't really pick up on the vibe here. So I'm just curious, you know, like what is the energy now? Like, you know, what's pushing you in, what's pulling you out. Um, great prompts that a colleague of ours just, you know, worked with us in writing prompts, like you could also do it in writing, right? So there's many opportunities. We sort of put suggestions in the book 
um, but by no means is prescriptive, right? Like you can find sort of what works for you. Like, yeah. I'll, like recently, sorry, I'm going on a little bit. On, like noticing, this is like a tip that didn't make it in the book, but um, for various, you know, health related reasons, my mindfulness practice of meditation wasn't available to me and I was really unmoored and lost. But then I discovered the craft of storytelling and this exercise that my storytelling teacher, Matthew Dix has a TED talk about, which is homework for life. So it's a, like a variation of a gratitude journal, except you ask like, what was story worthy today? And it really helped me notice and develop like my noticing muscle in a very different way. Um, wow. So it can be many different things. It could be sketching, right? Like sketching makes you really slow down and notice. And so that muscle gets strengthened and, you know, then it's applied elsewhere, just like football players do yoga. <laughs> what a great yeah. question. What was story worthy today? I mean, if you're going through your day thinking about, there's got to be something story worthy today, you, to your point, you're going to start tuning into those things. You're going to start noticing a lot more things and your eyes are going to open. The aperture is going to change and you're going to take a lot more in than you maybe were ignoring before. Exactly. Beautifully put, Nick. Yeah. And like, I, I don't know, I had an example this week. Um, a colleague of mine was, um, I saw her from a distance and I could tell there was something wrong. Mm -hmm. She was um, on the phone and she was at her computer and she looked really, really stressed. And so I just, I, I wasn't able to like, like actually interrupt her. So I just sent her a text message later in the day saying, Hey, I saw you, you looked really stressed and it looked like you're having a tough time. I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. I care about you. If there's anything I can do, you know, I'm like, like call me, but, I, most of all, I just want to let you know that I see you and I care about you. She was so, um, you that, know, that was story worthy for that. her for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. wrote back, right back and said, Oh my God, I had just such a bad day, but thank you so much. And like, and that's the kind of noticing that can really help strengthen the real, those relationships. And if there's something that I can do to help her, it, it will also help, you know, us getting stuff done together at the same time. Um, right. You know, other to otherwise we might just stay in our own individual lanes and, and feel more, you know, isolated and, and alone. And I think, you know, as you're aware, you know, there's a lot more discussion of like well-being totally. um, and, and how do we, you know, have a greater well-being. And I think by, by actually helping people stay and feel connected, um, even if it's, you know, even if it is remote, even if it's not always face-to-face, -face, I think we can still, do better at, at seeing each other and seeing each other as like as full humans who are, you know, doing the best that we can, but often facing a lot of stuff nowadays. Well, you know, it's really bizarre to me. Uh, so here's my soapbox uh, rant for the day. Well, for that, for this hour, um, you know, a lot of people would say what you said is so touchy feely and we're talking about well-being. Yeah. get to work, get the work done. And, Yet those same people, if they were running a factory, would not be saying, what do you want to talk about maintenance for? Let the machines run. They would never say that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. right. uh, right. Maintenance on machines is to, uh, you know, industrial economy, what wellness is to human beings in a knowledge work economy. It, we are right. the thing. We are, you know, yeah. we're more yeah. stressed than we've ever been. Us right. having time for connection, that's what we run on. That's what we're wired for. You know what I'm saying? Um, so yes. anybody who thinks it is... Uh, 
you know, touchy feely needs to just give me a call. Cause I got a, I got a couple of words for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're preaching to the choir, my friend. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that connection thing, I mean, the more connections we have, you know, that strengthened your relationship with your friend for sure. Not only that, it also gave her, you know, that, that perspective shift because many times when you're in the weeds like that and you're having the kind of day that it sounds like she was having, that's, you know, you can't see the forest from, from, from the trees that mm -hmm. allowed her to kind of, oh yeah, this is not maybe all that bad. Oh yeah. There are people around me that, you know, care about me and this is not going to be the end of the world. Um, that little perspective shift just has such a big impact. And I'm sure that that text, uh, had an impact on her house and on the people in her life because she wasn't carrying, you know what I'm saying? It was just like a little right. pressure release and it's something that's so simple and it just takes a little bit of effort and to your point, a little bit of noticing to be able to like reinforce the thread count of the tapestry that is the cultures that we're building around ourselves. You know what I'm saying? That's absolutely true. Totally agree with that. So let's dive into, f how are we doing on time here? Okay, I wanna talk a little bit about feedback. Um, this is like a big one. You know, you know, the E, the third uh, principle you talked about um, is about, um, you know, what is it? Ex execute feedback? Exchanging feedback. Exchange feedback, sorry. Yeah. Um, so like feedback is a gift, although it's also uh, a curse or something. I don't know, I'm kidding. But like, why is it so hard for us to get, to give and take feedback, even in like super safe relationships that, that we have? What's at the core of that? And how do we break that on a corporate level? Great question. Um, you know, there's um, uh, some some folks at Harvard who wrote a great pro uh, book called Thanks for the Feedback, Doug Stone and Sheila Heen. And their answer to that question, which I, I, I tend to agree with, is that human beings are kind of, in, in, in a way, like wired to get defensive around feedback. Mm. We just, it's just really difficult for us to like, um, you know, we, 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 we are always in some ways trying to protect our egos. And so we often personalize, um, you know, feedback in a way that's not particularly helpful. Um, and so, so, you know, part of it, it, it Marianne, build on that. Yeah. I would just add to that also, like we, um, you know, to geek out a little, like according to self-determination theory, which was popularized in Dan Pink's book, Drive, you know, we have a very primitive universal drive to belong mm. and feedback can be perceived as a threat to that belonging, right? That maybe, you know, you're not going to be connected. You're going to be outcast, right? If you're not, um, you know, fitting in and being accepted. So I think it kind of, that's why like feedback <laughs> delivered well maintains that connection, right? That says it's not a threat here, right? That right. the, you know, that's like we, we talk about connecting to your intention and making it very safe before you engage in a feedback conversation. And if you've been noticing all along, there shouldn't be any big surprises. Um, it's interesting that the feedback one and the claimant one are so close together in the, in the list of, you know, principles, because, um, as David said, you know, you know, we, you can never really be truly kind of self-aware, right? Cause I'm looking out of my own body. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I come across and yet we have this sort of like ego first tendency to not want to hear the feedback, uh, because anything negative is going to be dissonant, you know, going to create some dissonance for us. And like, we don't want to hear it, which then leads to, um, 
ultimately like a burying of our own head in the sand, which means like we can't take reality as our friend. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, it yeah. creates like a really vicious cycle of, you know, not taking feedback, you know, lying to ourselves, you know, seeing, a, you know, talk about noticing, we start to only see a reality that we kind of think exists. And you can very quickly depart from, you know, how you're actually coming across to uh, other folks and really kind of burrow into this hole of, I don't really know what to call it, but like of, uh, I don't know, like illusion or something. You know what I'm saying? Like the reality totally. that you are in right. is not even close to what actually everybody around you is perceiving due solely to the moat that you've built around yourself to keep this sort of, you know, ego crippling feedback, you know, away from, uh, from yourself. It's crazy. So in this point, to make this point, like, um, a couple years ago, I was coaching an executive who, um, you know, we, and we always do like a 360. So we get, we, we solicit mm -hmm. feedback from direct reports, from peers, from supervisors. And when he got the feedback, it was, he, he got some honest information that he hadn't gotten before. And he was almost tearful when he was talking about it on one hand, grateful that he finally got the feedback, but said, wow, if I had got this feedback 20 years ago, if, if I had been open to really seeking out and getting this feedback, it would have changed my whole career. I wouldn't have been passed up for those promotions. I would have gotten um, you know, much further in my career if I had known that I was having this impact on people in these specific ways. Now I can address that. I can work on that, but I, I was flying blind. So, you know, so I think, you know, you're absolutely right. Like it's really um, vital um, for people to be able to, to get this and to, and to like, you're saying like see feedback um, even though it might be momentarily uncomfortable, it may make us cringe a little bit in the moment or might be painful to, to experience. Um, that it can really, you know, help us learn. We always can decide what we do with the feedback right. at the end of the day. And it's just, if you can look at it as like, all right, this is data. Yeah. This is some data. It's just data. And, and I get to decide what to do with it. You know, it can be at least help people to be a little bit more empowered about, um, about receiving it. I work with my brother and that's his thing with feedback. He's like, it's just data, you know? And he can take it in and uh, he's not like affected by it. And maybe I'm showing too much of my cards here, but like sometimes I get some feedback and I'm just like devastated. I'm not even close to, you know, your, your friend who you were coaching, who sounds like really emotionally mature. I'm like looking for a train track to throw myself on or something like it's, <laughs> you know, because, you know, I think sometimes it's like, I'm trying so hard and my, you know, my intention, you know, I think my intentions are so good and how could I be this wrong? There must be something wrong with the other person. And it's been like a struggle for me to, you know, figure out how to just kind of say, okay, kind of cold clinically say, this is just some data. What can I gather from it? And not sort of mistakenly discount it beyond what it might, you know, what, right. what is maybe like appropriate or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Throwing it. You don't want to throw the value yeah, out of it totally. either. Throw out the baby with the yeah, bathwater. Exactly. But like, but, but there is this sort of kind of sifting through to, to figure out like, all right, what can I own? What makes sense, you know, to yeah. me? And there may be some stuff that you're like, ah, I'm not ready to own that, I, but maybe I need to park it over here mm -hmm. and, and see if there's, if there's more data that comes back that supports that, then all right, you know, like, um, you know, that, that may be something there I got I really need to, to take on. But, but then, you know, oh, go, go yeah. ahead, please, please. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Marianne. I was just thinking, you know, 
it comes back to clarity because you can sort of take control right. of your feedback and exactly. it can be proactive and you can you can add to that it's not just coming at you but you can ask for the feedback that would be helpful for you you know so like you may get feedback in some area but you may want to know about something else and so if you are clear about you know what would be supportive what is interesting to you in your personal growth what are you working on and then you ask for that feedback mm. you know so you have a little bit more control and it's useful to you and you know you can you can ask you know we all have our blind spots what are mine what am i not seeing and in like kind ways, what would you like me to do more of? What would you like me to do less of? Right. Rather than, you know, like you really suck at this, you know? Yeah. Now say that nicely, um, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. that, that framework because it does kind of bring a little bit of like control into it. And, you know, you don't have, you don't have to eat whatever you're served. You can kind of go to the buffet of feedback and, you know, take it as it comes, I guess, or, you know, take what you can handle at a time. Um, and you know, what I was kind of struck with again, great, uh, great list of seven, um, you know, principles here, but like just the fact that try again, you know, again, I'm not trying to get psychoanalyzed here, uh, but unless you want to, um, but, <laughs> but like just the fact that like we can try again kind of implies that, listen, this perfection that we're striving toward is never going to be achieved and it's okay never. to not be perfect right now. And it's okay to take in this data and use that as a mechanism to like get a little bit better. Um, it's kind of a freeing framework. Uh, so in case everybody can't tell, I just love this book. I love how you've, um, married, you know, uh, accountability with something that I think is actually very freeing and is not this kind of constricting, you know, uh, set of shackles, but rather, uh, it's a canvas that we can kind of paint beautiful pictures on and, you know, draw more connections with each other and, you know, have a shared set of values that actually drive an authentic culture forward. So, um, really love you guys' work. Thank you so much for coming on and spending uh, part of your day with us. Um, their book uh, can be found everywhere, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, ATDs, the publisher's website, independent yeah. bookstores. <laughs> and um, and the website for your company uh, is consciousgrowthpartners.com. Is that right? That's right. Very good. Correct. Well, thank you all for joining us. Um, reach out to uh, David and Marianne on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, definitely buy their book. We didn't even get to talk about like how well designed the cover was. We didn't talk about training <laughs> design. We may have to uh, reconnect at some point because um, this was really a lot of fun and I feel like we only really started to scratch the surface. We'd be yeah, happy to come back to. and chat with you about anything else because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more we, we, could, uh, we could get into. So anytime. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, until next time. Thank you.